Well, we outsourced Bren today. Um, he is at a church called Stonehill Church. Uh, they are in Southwest Boise. Um, and so in the spirit of the section that we're going to be in today, um, by the way, there will be Bibles passed out, and you will, you will want one here in just a second uh, for us to pray for them. So if you, want, if you would like a Bible, if you don't have one on your phone or memorized entirely in its entirety, then uh, you'll want to go ahead and grab a paper Bible. Uh, they're coming around. Just put your hand up and they'll stick a Bible into it. We are going to pray for that particular church um, because obviously Brent is there um, and he is serving them by uh, sharing with them something that he's learned. And so we will serve them by praying for them. So Ephesians 3, 14 <coughs> to 21. Um, and let's just take a moment and let's just pray this over them. Uh, the way that you would do that if you've never done that before or don't know what I refer- I'm referring to is to uh, simply take the passage and pray what is prayed uh, for, what Paul is praying for. Pray that over that church. Uh, they're a newer church. Uh, things are pretty pretty uh, up and going, but they're newer still. And so pray that, that, you would, that they would see these things take place. And then, I will, and then I will pray and then we will get started. Father God, today exists because it is here to give you glory. And we acknowledge that we are here to give you glory. Um, We pray that through your word, um, through me as your vessel, that you would allow us today to be strengthened, encouraged, to comprehend things that are uncomprehensible, and that we would uh, be able to grapple with some of these truths and that they would be able to grapple with some of the truths they're going to learn. Father, I pray you would strengthen the church in Boise, that we would become a fully formed outpost of worship here in the city um, and that your glory would be manifest uh, because we as your temple continue in obedience and continue to sing out the things that we learn, continue to live out the things that we learn for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, the Bible sees fit to use three chapters to explain Ephesians 1 through 3. And uh, I am not trying to be arrogant by summing it up in three sentences, okay? I promise. I just want us to kind of get the whole review thing and then move on, okay? So Ephesians 1 through 3, chapters 1 through 3 in a nutshell. uh, We are recreated human beings who have been fully blessed by God and put into a family with one another called the church. This church is Christ's physical body on the earth, co-heirs destined to reign in the kingdom of God under Jesus and a temple housing the unique presence of God in the world. And this idea of temple is where we're going to spend time today. Um, The people in Ephesus, now this is important because this is a letter originally written to a group of people, a tangible real group of people. And so this group of people live in a place called Ephesus. Now Ephesus housed one of the seven wonders of the ancient world the temple to Artemis. Um, This temple was seen all over the world as this uh, hub of worship to this god Artemis. And in the temple, there were things that were practiced like sorcery, which ultimately equated to demonic powers, making miraculous things happen. Um, And so the church in Ephesus is impacted culturally by this huge influence that is the temple. Now, I tried to 
It's difficult for us because tem- the idea of temple in our culture is really pretty subdued, but in their culture, it's this massive idea. So let me, let me quote somebody from back then to explain to you how big, importance-wise, the temple at Artemis, uh, to Artemis was. This is Antipater of Sidon, who is an ancient Greek poet. He says, I have seen the walls and hanging gardens of Babylon, the statue of Zeus in Olympia. I have seen the Colossus of Rhodes, the work and the mighty work of the high pyramids in Egypt and the tomb of Mausolus. But when I saw the temple at Ephesus rising to the clouds, all these other wonders were put in the shade. Now in Ephesians 2, the end of it, 11 to 22, Paul is telling this group of people, this Ephesian church, that you've got Jews and you've got Gentiles. Now, for us, again, this is not something that that we fully understand, but these are two at-odds groups of people, culturally, racially, um, trust-wise. I mean, if you can imagine having to be united with a group of people you just don't trust, but that God is doing this, bringing these people together, and in so doing, he is building his own temple. Now think about that. To tell a group of people who live in the shadow of a wonder of the world temple, that God is building his temple in them, would be something that would rise up confidence, that would inspire them. And so I started thinking, temple, 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 like, how, how can we understand this passage in Ephesians 3 better? And it brought me back to 2 Chronicles 3 through 6. Now, I used to think, and maybe some of you have been there before, but I used to think that like 2 Chronicles 3 through 6 was just like, there was like, okay, the temple's built. Great, we know, a bunch of wasted words in the process, right? I used to think that it's just like all of this, it's like the inner sanctuary lined with gold fillets and this many cubits wide and this many cubits high. And I'm thinking to myself, that's awesome, but it doesn't exist anymore and I can't see it and I can't understand why you put it in there. It just felt like wasted words. It was unhelpful. And I read like three chapters of scripture a day. So like if I read Second Chronicles 3 to 6, I'd like walk around going, geez, come on, seriously, I got nothing for today. <laughs> I know how many gold inlaid whatevers are inside the main sanctuary. But it made me think about something. Because that's me. That's my culture. That's my understanding. Temple is not a big deal to me. But to a group of people like this, it conveyed something massive. Because this group of people needed to understand that the same meticulous, beautiful, practical, humble, but also brilliant God that built Solomon's temple, that when he says, I am building you as my temple, he is doing it with the same care. He is doing it with the same meticulous nature. And this is something that the Ephesian church would have understood because all of a sudden you've got the convergence of two groups of people. One, who saw Solomon's temple in 2 Chronicles 3 through 6 as this massive thing. And the Gentiles who saw the temple to Artemis is this massive thing. And all of a sudden, when God says, you are my temple, on top of this, in 2 Chronicles 6, Solomon stands up in front of the entire community of Jews. And 2 Chronicles 6 starts off with this phrase. Or he starts off with this phrase. Bowing before God. God. 
today, I want us to see Ephesians 3, 14 to 21 as New Testament Apostle Paul dedication of the new temple, which is the church. So let's read it. Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Now to him, who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Remembering that this is a particular letter written to a particular group of people kind of enlivens this idea for us, okay? This is not a cool group of people. You got to get that, okay? The Ephesian church is not like the who's who of their culture, all right? This is the Jews, okay? In one corner, the Jews, no, okay, but this is the Jews. The Jews, a displaced, small religious sect who at a time when nobody believed in one God, believed in one God, totally insignificant, usually blamed for some sort of thing that goes on in the world, so they're not really very cool, right? Jews. Gentiles. The Gentiles who were cool worshipped Artemis. The Gentiles who were uncool found other little religions around. This is a small religious sect of people living in an area that's massive and totally devoted to their pagan gods. Let me, let me break this down even more, okay? In, in language we would understand. This is the poor of the poor. These are beggars, lepers, okay? There's not very many politically high ups who go, yes, I want to believe in Jesus who is a man, a Jew, and also lived in a section of the world that's been conquered more times than I can count. Because to these people, the more successful your group of people was, the more prominent your God is. So this group of people, their culture as a whole in the ancient Near East, would look at them and think, their God's got to be real small. Because look at them. They're super lame. But this is the brilliance of Ephesians 1 through 3. Because to that group of people, the least of the people in that particular time, could you imagine hearing something like, you've been fully blessed, now go beg. You have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. I'm sorry you're struggling to eat. Think about this for a second. How would you respond when Paul says that you are loved so much that before the foundation of the world was laid, you were chosen to be with him, God? You would be like, man, God could do better. There are cooler people in the world today than me. And no offense, but you too. But there's something about God 
There's something about that meticulous, beautiful, loving, gracious, kind, accepting God. And that is this. While everybody else in the world, including Solomon, built their temple out of the finest materials, who built their temple out of the most beautiful gold, God was taking the church and building it out of broken people, taking the least and putting them together to make his temple. In a culture that saw prominence of the God who was being worshipped by the success of the people who worshipped him. This was not an empowered group of people. This was a destitute, poor group of people learning the empowerment that was given to them. Think about it. If God equipped Solomon's temple with the finest materials so that it would last, would he not equip his church, his new temple, with the finest things? That is the story of Ephesians 1 through 3. That we have been equipped with the finest materials. Eternal. Powerful. Good. I look at it like this. Like, when I feel like I am the least or when I feel lesser in the world because I'm looking around and I can see that there are people who have more than me. That there are people who have more intelligence than me. Okay? When I think about that, my life becomes about what I can see with my two eyes, my two tangible eyes. But what if God is doing something different with us? What if God wants us to begin to see what we're really made of now and how he recreated us to be something amazing, not to focus on all of the negative, not to spend our time looking at the infirmities, looking at the inaccuracies, looking at all of the negative, but to spend our time becoming who we already are, sound, structurally safe, beautiful, masterpiece, glorious, wonder of the world, glorious. That if God has built that into us, and he is telling us, among these other temples that you see, I have chosen you to be my temple. To show my glory in the world. If I feel lesser, there is something about me that I just don't get. But God does. Let's look at this for a second here. As we see verses 16 and 17, he says that according to the riches of his glory that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. This is something we already know, but maybe the hardest thing for us to remember. Inner strength is way more important than outer strength. Secret knowledge. You ready? Everything that you can touch, see, everything that you can feel is doing its best to become dust. It's all wasting away. Now we know this in ourselves, okay? And as you get older, you probably know this even more. Why is my body trying so hard to become dust? Why is it 
decaying so much? Why am I struggling in ways that I hadn't before? Why? Everything, chairs, this building, it's all decaying in some form or another. We have to upkeep everything just to keep it from not falling down. Those are the things that we can see. But the people of this time, what they could see was this massive temple, which, little secret, no longer exists in that majestic form. Why? Because it's become some form of dust. But to them, this temple is the shade that they live in. It's everything to them. That's all they see. Now think about your life. What shade are you living in? Is it, is it the belief that you're not as influential here as a part of the church because you're not the one making enough money? Is it because you believe that you're not the one who's intelligent enough? Is it, is it that you believe you haven't been equipped? Is what you're looking at daily in your life here and now more prominent to you than the glory of God being built into you. Look at this passage from 2 Corinthians 4, verses 16 through 18. It says, you can flip there if you want to. I can give you a second. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. I had coffee in between. You guys are getting me like way more fired up than the first service did. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but look to the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. God by his spirit is building you with eternal material. You originally and I originally was made with non-eternal material. And what I mean by that is our outer self, this body, these things that we see are wasting away, but inwardly God is doing something majestic with us. Look, please don't miss this. God is doing something in you that he sees fit enough to literally Put his glory into you and me. So what you see is not the most prominent reality. The most prominent reality is what God is doing eternally. Now, if you can imagine how beat down this group of people would have felt in Ephesus, okay? If the temple to Artemis and their sorcerers Demonic powers are displaying this, these miracles. And yet, they're intended to focus on the things that they can't see. <laughs> Can you imagine how disheartening that would be? But that's, Paul is praying for them to get something specific. He is praying that when they look at their culture and they see how insignificant God may feel there, that they would not forget who God really is. That they would stop looking at how significant the culture sees God as a reflection of God's power. And they would start to see God's faithfulness through the ages as a reflection of his power. I realize there's a group of people in our culture today who really do believe 
that the United States and our society is going to crap. I hope that we are not the type of people who focus our energy in that point. But I pray that we are the type of people who are so built up spiritually by the knowledge that God has done in us something majestic that we can see what God is doing even when our world looks like it's failing. Even when you become less and less cool, I pray the church gets out of its coolness complex. We aren't cool. We aren't popular. We can water it down to make ourselves a little bit cooler to people. But the truth when we get down to it is still hard to swallow. <laughs> Look, man, we believe something that's crazy. I'm down with that. I'm comfortable there. It's like this. In 17 to 19, he says that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, there is nothing more loving that God can do than to take broken vessels, broken people, and turn them into his glorious resemblance. But I want, like, don't get it twisted, okay? We don't understand God. I understand, and, and hopefully you're in, you're in this with me, but like I understand maybe 1% of the power and the love of God. Ephesians 1 through 3 tells me that this love is so deep, so strong, so built into me, something that is a part of my new material, but I still only get like 1%, right? It's kind of funny. And you'll see this. The world sees it this way, and, and I see it this way right now in this moment, and hopefully you will too. I am basing my life on something I am 99% confused by. We're not cool. That 1% that I know is enough for me because I can catch a glimpse of glory. And in that glimpse of glory and majesty and beauty and practicality and meticulousness, just that glimpse is enough for me to go, that's bigger than me and it's real and I'm going to back up, but God's going to bring me closer. I get it. Okay. That's enough for me to base my life on this. I, I kind of try to think of it this way. So like some of you are not going to understand what I'm saying, but you'll kind of get it in context. It's like God's power and God's love are this massive document that I'm trying to download, right? And it would take an eternity to download this document with like a fiber optic cable, okay? And I'm like rocking dial-up AOL style. Okay? I'm trying to download the power and love of God on something that's going to take me more than an eternity. My brain is only capable of so much. Okay? Some of you guys don't know what AOL is. Gosh, I'm old. All right. You're all, oh, yeah, one of my professors has AOL as their like, email. All right. So, but does that make sense? Like, this is too big for us. We're not able to comprehend it. But what is Paul praying? Paul is praying that you would comprehend it. Why? Because if we don't grapple with that, if we don't begin to just a little bit, just, just 2%, just 2%. I want 2%. If I got 2%, I'm going to be like setting the world on fire. But that 1% right now is good enough for me to base my life. That 1% of knowledge is good enough for me to base my life. And, and we want to grow in this knowledge to be able to comprehend something about God. Why? Because that's what gets our insides strengthened. What is it that's getting strengthened? It's our faith. Look, 
Christ dwells uniquely among us by faith. Yes, he's always with us, according to Matthew 26. He says in the Great Commission, he will never leave us. I get that. But there is something unique that happens when we begin to see tangibly Christ's real presence in our community, in the greater global church, because of our faith. This ragtag community of racially divided people in the New Testament has a spiritual legacy of thousands of years of people coming to know who God is by the, the glory that he has put into them. A group of beggars generously passed out truth. That's stinking cool. And to think about the fact that as we look at this and we understand who we are in him, that we are the same legacy. We are the temple of God that literally God is building into an attractive force in the world by his power and his material. And that's what leaves us to something like this. What do you do when you think about comprehending the power and love of God? What do you do when you think about the fact that God has literally given us so many blessings that we can't even fathom them? What do you do with that? I think you do exactly what Paul does in this section. He prays, and then he sings. And I'm not talking about just a simple song that, that is repetitive, although we will do that too. I'm talking about something specific. In verses 20 and 21, when he says this phrase, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all, all generations forever and ever. He is building an eternal temple. Solomon's temple, gone. The temple to Artemis, gone. All the temples of the ancient world, all of the wonders of the ancient world, gone. You know what's still here? The material that God is building into this, the church, the temple on the earth, the place where people get to see just a glimpse of God's majesty and glory. You and I are an eternal temple, an eternal dwelling place for God. It's not going to stop. Long after our bodies go to dust, he's just going to give us new ones. And we will continue to be the temple of God, expressing wisdom to spiritual beings, expressing glory for all of eternity. Our significance is far more than what we can see here and now. And the prayer here is that we would begin to live our lives based on the unseen, based on the totally incomprehensible, based on the confusing. Why? Because God gets so much glory when his people begin to see just a tiny bit what he has done in them. Just a little bit. This song, I, I could not write out a better way to say this, so I just stole it from someone else. Um, it's not plagiarism because I'm about to say his name, but uh, John Piper puts it this way, and, and, and I love this particular phrasing. It's a little long, but stick with me, okay? This is about 20 and 21. Now, don't miss the fact that the form of verse 20 carries part of the meaning. It is a doxology or a song. Paul is soaring. He is singing or shouting. And if you don't see that, you might simply say that verse 20 is a novel way of stating the doctrine of God's sovereignty. He can do anything he pleases. 
But there are a lot of people who believe that doctrine in their heads who don't sing about it. They don't shout glory to God when they think about it. Why is Paul singing? Until you can answer that, you can't say you know the meaning of this verse. Paul is singing because he sees two things, not just one thing. He sees that the power of God over the church goes beyond what we can think. And he also sees that the love of God for the church goes beyond what we can think. Notice verses 18 and 19. He prays that the church may have power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. Do you see the parallel with the power of God in verse 20? In verse 19, he says that the love of Christ for the church goes beyond what you can know. And in verse 20, he says that the power of God over the church goes beyond what you can think. When the massive weather front of God's love meets the massive weather front of God's power in the heart of a believer, it produces a hurricane of confidence called Gloria, a powerful doxology to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. That picture of a hurricane is exactly what God is doing inside of you. Inside of us is a tempest of glory, is a powerful, unimaginable force that we cannot control and we cannot comprehend. We are a collection of hearts made one by the Spirit of God, unleashed, fully equipped, completely new, totally ready for whatever God asks of us. Ephesians 4 through 6 is a dizzying number of how-tos. There will be commands that are on top of commands, on top of commands. And it will feel like, man, that's just too much. Now, for the Ephesians, similar to us, if you've ever felt like you were not prepared for something, and, and the only way I can liken it is this. I took a class in college one time, and uh, I sat down, like, in class, whatever, and I, you know, passing out the syllabuses, and I look at the syllabus, and I go, oh, man, I don't understand what the syllabus is even saying. Okay, if you can't understand the syllabus, that's when you know you're in over your head, right? I dropped that class like a bad habit. Changed my major and everything. It was great. But if you can't understand the syllabus, when somebody tells you you have all these assignments, you just feel overwhelmed. <laughs> you just do. But I want you to know that this particular passage is expressing something unique to us. You may not understand the syllabus entirely, but because of what God has done inside of you, because of what God has built into you and me, you are fully equipped to do every assignment he gives. When you feel overwhelmed, good, but don't feel it very long because you are empowered by the greatest force in the entire world, the only one who can build a temple that will never fall. And you are that temple. You, you are the temple. God has built the only wonder of the world, and it is the church. That all of the other things built by human hands are working their way to dust. But this church 
not just Rev 22, but the church that God has built will never be dust. This is a forever kingdom, a forever family, and forever a display of God's power in the world. And you have that material built into you. You are not unequipped. You are blessed beyond anything that you can understand. And the rest of your days, if we continue to grapple with this, what it will continue to do is give birth to confidence. Godly confidence in the world that no matter what we see here, that we are never living in the shade of someone else's glory. We live in the shade of God's glory and we are the one, literally the light, who is permitting out that glory. So here's what I want us to do. Ask yourself a question. Where can you simply take a chance in faith instead of walking so much up here? Where will you put enough stake on the fact that God has made you into something brilliant that you will take a step out in faith in recognition that if God wants to bring glory through you, he has equipped you and he has given you the tools and he has meticulously laid out what he wants you to be and he will make that happen because you are his glory in the world. He doesn't build massive cathedrals for his glory. He builds mass groups of people and that is his glory and you are it. And as we walk out of here, I pray that you see that we, a small section, a small portion of that, are not defeated. We are not down. That we have been given something incomprehensible. That God is building up all the way into eternity. And it will literally be a flash in the pan, whatever it is that's going on now. This is us. We are those who take steps of faith here and now. And inwardly, immovable temple and an outwardly mobile temple going out into the world. Let me pray. God, you have equipped us with far more than even we know. Oh man, I just want to keep talking about you. I love you, God. It's so good. Lord, will you, will you inspire us today? Will you well up confidence within us today? I pray that defeat would be far from us and your unseen victories for those who feel defeated, would look like they are the most prominent thing in their lives. God, I pray for people who today uh, are walking in uh, sin. Lord, will you show them what you've done with them? Help them see that their significance in the world is so great that they no longer have time to play with that stuff anymore. It's just a waste of time. Thank you, God, that we are your temple. And I pray that you would allow us now to sing with that confidence. I pray these things with Jesus' name. Amen.